I was telling someone this week that the more I read uh, this letter from Paul to Timothy, the more I appreciate the sense of urgency with which Paul writes. It's a real period of instability for the church. As we've talked about, the, the Christians are being persecuted, and there are many who are withdrawing out of fear. Uh, false teachers were seizing the opportunity to gain new followers. They were all offering an, an alternative theology that didn't have all the suffering that many of the Christians were experiencing. It was the promise that you could have the good life right now. And so what's not to like about that? But all it was doing was creating confusion and, and unrest in the church. It kind of reminds me of what it's like when, when you have a flock of sheep who are disturbed or unrest because they sense danger. Maybe they see a, a coyote or, or a wolf or some kind of a predator crouched in the grass around them. They become skittish and panic starts to spread from one to the other. Some take off running only to run right into the enemy's trap. They desperately need a shepherd who can help calm the situation. Someone who will guard and protect and lead them with integrity. Well, Paul is writing to Timothy to be that man. He wants Timothy to, to bring stability in the midst of all the distractions. He wants him to have character in the midst of all the confusion. The Ephesian church needs a leader with integrity. They need Timothy to be a workman who is unashamed. A shepherd who will guard and protect the sheep. But I want you to hear me on this. Paul is not asking anything of Timothy does, that does not apply to you and I. We have plenty of confusion and misguided opinions in our world today. One newspaper summed it up this way. It says, since most of us would rather be affirmed by what we do rather than who we are, we are normally willing to sacrifice character for conduct, integrity for achievement. That may be true for the world but it is not true for those who follow Christ. The more corruption there is, the greater the need for integrity. We need Christians who refuse to compromise. Those who have character in the midst of all the confusion that surrounds us. What Paul is telling Timothy applies directly to you and I today. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, sometimes we can look at your word and consider it irrelevant. It's news from the past that doesn't apply to our world today. That could not be farther from the truth. Especially this morning as we look at your words to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. So I ask, Lord, that each and every one of us would read these words as if the letter was written to us. That we would take them personally. That they would consider and that they would inform our life how we should live who we should be and that we might be faithful to live out of who you created us to be as those who belong to you we pray this in your name amen if you would turn to second timothy chapter 2 verse 20 and we'll pick up where we left off last in verse 21 or excuse me verse 20 Paul is continuing his letter to Timothy, and he says this in verse 20. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some for honor and some for dis to dishonor. 
Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from the things he has, from, excuse me, therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So Paul is trying to paint a picture here for us. He's talking about a house. And more specifically, I believe he's talking about the church house, the house of believers. In the first letter that he writes to Timothy, he refers to the church as the household of God. And I think he has the same thing in mind here. With any church, there's a whole mixture of people. It's different people from different situations come with different motives. And Paul compares that to, to vessels that you might find in a large house. Now, when you hear vessel, I want you to think buckets, cups, jars, those kinds of things. They could be containers used for storing vegetables, a, a container used for uh, uh, drawing water. And because they didn't have indoor plumbing in that day, it could be a container used to carry poop. It's true. And you had to be real careful not to use the poop container when you go to draw water. That's why Paul says some are used for honorable purposes, others for dishonorable, and you wanted to make sure that they are used accordingly. The vessels that are used for honorable use are always kept clean. And typically, they're made of different materials, something that sets them apart. Their outward appearance should reflect the, the honor of their use. Well, Paul is kind of painting this picture, giving us this metaphor to compare to the Christian life. See, that outward appearance represents Christian conduct behaviors that honor Christ. And what is seen on the outside should be a reflection of what you would find on the inside. In other words, how you live should mirror what you believe. And as a Christian, we have been set apart for honorable use. We have been made clean through the forgiveness of sins and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We remain clean by refusing to, to compromise, to get involved in, in the corruption that exists in the world around us. We set aside those dirty old habits and we pursue what is good and right and true. We want to live an honorable life to fulfill our divine purpose. We have been set apart for that reason. Scripture tells us that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. So we set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth, things that are good and right and true. We align our lives with the truth of God's word. We belong to God, and we want our lives to honor him. That's the point that Paul is trying to make knowing full well that with any church congregation, you have a mixture of perspectives and attitudes and motivations. Some will get distracted and will be drawn away. Some will try to go their own way, only ending up walking right into the, the enemy's trap. But the more corruption there is, the greater the need for integrity. We need Christians in the church who refuse to compromise those who have character in the midst of confusion. 
Now, our good friend Russell Thomas in his town this weekend. So, Russell, is it safe to say that there is all kinds of confusion on Capitol Hill? Absolutely. And would it be safe to say that there has not been another time where there is a greater need for character in the midst of all that confusion? And Russell, as a brother in Christ and a friend, I'm glad you're there because you're that man. But we need to know that comfortable West Texas is no different than all the confusion going on in Washington, D.C. Because there are just as many people here looking for answers as there are there. And you and I have been called, have been set apart, have been made clean so that we can speak and live in a way that we give answers to those confusing questions. We point people to Jesus Christ. There may be no greater time than the need that we have now for believers in Jesus Christ to have character in the midst of confusion, to refuse to compromise, and to be men and women of integrity. So that who you are right now is the same person as when no one else is looking. People of integrity. Look at how he continues in verse 22. It says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Here's the key. Paul is trying to help Timothy understand that this honorable life is not something that just happens passively. It is an active pursuit. It is something that you must be intentional about. Because at any given time, you are either being conformed by the world around you or you are being transformed by the work of the Spirit within you. One of the two is happening. And if you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then it is an active, intentional pursuit. He uses strong words. Flee, pursue, refuse. He's talking about things that we should run from things that we should run to, and things that we should reject altogether. He begins by saying, flee youthful lusts. Youthful lusts are inordinate desires. It's the Greek word epithumia. Now, thumia means desire. It's normal. It's natural. It's not a bad thing. But you stick epi in front of it, and it does become bad. Epithumia is an over-desire. It takes what is a normal desire and turns it into a Selfish appetite. Now, the context here is not just sexual temptation, although that definitely applies. It makes me think of the situation where Potiphar's wife kept making those advances towards Joseph. You remember? And what did Joseph do in response to that? He ran. He ran. Was Joseph tempted? Maybe so. But he did not stop long enough to weigh his options. He took off. He fled youthful lusts. But there's more in mind here. He's talking about the, the general realities of what it means to be young. That time in all of our lives where we really didn't have much life experience, but boy, we had life figured out, right? Our parents were just an obstacle because... They just did not have a clue to what we were going through. 
it's the time in our life where we had this attitude of independence and overzealous confidence. This past week, as I was meeting with my discipleship group of young men, I told them that probably the biggest difference of who I am today and who I was back in my 20s is I don't trust myself near as much today as I did back then. I don't have that overzealous confidence. I have a sober self-assessment. There too go I, if not for the grace of God. See, it's a sign of spiritual maturity, not of weakness. Paul says, run from youthful lusts. Do not go your own way. Do not proceed with this overzealous confidence like you've got this thing figured out because that's deception. You don't, and neither do I. Instead, he says, run towards righteousness. Pursue faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. All those things require another person. Selfish independence turns into willing submission. Lustful desires turn into humble sacrifice. It's considering the needs of someone else as more important than your own. Now keep in mind that these are qualities that you do not possess on your own. Okay, These are things that you learn by having walked faithfully with Christ. First John says that God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God. And God abides in them. It's trying to make the point that we only know love through the experience of having been loved by God. In the absence of God's love, our heart turns inward towards selfish desires. In the presence of God, our heart turns outward, considering the needs of others as more important than our own. Ephesians says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's this idea that we forgive others because we, of all people, know what it means to be forgiven. This overzealous confidence, this selfish independence that has to turn towards community. This past week, Mark and uh, Jason and Bruce and I spent some time looking at Scripture together. And one of the things that we talked about is the reality of how salvation in biblical terms is rarely described individually. It's always groups. So, for example, it says that you were sons of disobedience, but now you've become sons of God. Strangers and and aliens, but now fellow citizens. Our faith in Christ is introduces us into the family of God. Who we are is identified by what group we ascribe to. Who do we belong to? Who do we follow and serve? And so when we put our faith in Christ, we know that that includes following Christ as we encourage one another. You are ultimately identified by the group you belong to. Running towards righteousness is the pursuit of knowing Christ, but in the context of those who call upon the name of the Lord with purity. We simply do not trust ourselves enough to go at this thing alone. Loving God with a whole heart is dependent 
upon our loving one another with a pure heart. We run from youthful lusts. We run towards righteousness. And then we reject ignorant speculations. Look again at verse 23. It says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. This is what we talked about last week. These are the conversations that lead us away from Christ. Majoring on the minors and and losing sight of what matters most. All it does is create quarrels. Because it has more to do with stroking people's ego than it does with advancing the faith. It's the desire to gain approval. Wanting people to be impressed with you. And it's hard to live in harmony if you can't see past yourself. Living an honorable life is an active pursuit. It is the pursuit of knowing Christ and becoming all that He has created you to be so that collectively, as a body of Christ, we can become all that He designed the church to be. Living in a way, as the Scripture tells us, that puts the manifold wisdom of God on display. That's what honors Him. And we can only do that when we live in community as He has created us for individually pursuing Christ, collectively collectively encouraging one another. Look at how he continues in verse 24. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. These are the attributes that Timothy must possess to kind of quell the confusion that exists within the church. But every single one of them applies to us if we want to live in a way that honors Christ. Here's where I believe that that Paul is going with this. Now, as a parent, this will make sense. You'll understand what this means. We know that in our raising kids, we have to deal with girl drama, and too much testosterone, right? Those are two realities that exist in a home when you're raising kids. And you know when those things start to get out of control, then emotions can rise. And one of the greatest dangers that we have as parents is matching the emotion of our kids so that when they elevate, we go right there with them. I've done it. It does not end well. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is, You've got to bring a peaceful perspective in the midst of a difficult situation. What applies to us as parents is equally true in the church. And this unrest has caused people to be quarrelsome. Think back to those skittish sheep. When when there's trouble around them, they're all panicked, and that panic is starting to spread. Some are taking off and running right into the enemy's trap. So instead of matching the emotion of all the anxiousness that is going on, Paul tells Timothy to do just the opposite. When people get angry and want to argue, you be kind. Be slow to take offense. Be quick to forgive. Be humble as you guide them with God's word. And don't take it personal if they don't agree. Be gentle as you correct those who stand against the truth. Invite them to consider what God has to say, but keep 
your heart soft. Don't be harsh in your judgment. Pray for their repentance. You can't bring conviction to their heart even if you wanted to. That's God's territory. So instead, be faithful. Remember, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. So you mirror his heart towards them. Now, keep in mind that these are instructions given by Paul to Timothy for those who are in the church. Those who claim to know Christ. Let's be clear, just because people walk in those doors back there doesn't mean that they are faithfully following Christ. We know that to be true. But here's what Paul is saying. When you have a shepherd's heart, you want them to. When you have a shepherd's heart, you want them to. And what is true for Timothy should be true for you and I as well. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be that man, a leader with integrity, a workman who is unashamed, a shepherd who will guard and protect the sheep. And it applies to every one of us as well. Whether we are a Christian or not, there's something that we need to understand. We are all, Christian or not, susceptible to the devil's deceit. We are all susceptible. The scripture tells us, as I told you earlier, that God prepares good works ahead of time so that we can walk in them. Satan does just the opposite. He sets traps of deception. He wants you to believe a lie. He wants you to believe the lie that divorce is the best possible option. He wants you to believe the lie that one gender or one race is superior to another. He wants you to believe the lie that people's approval of your success is where your self-worth is found. He wants you to believe the lie that your situation is beyond the realm of redemption. That is a lie. And the world embraces those lies as if they were truth. And God's desire is for those who follow Christ to come to their senses. Literally, to be in their right mind. That they might know the heart of repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. It's a desire to flee from the devil's deception. And if you seek the truth, that truth will set you free. This uh, last Sunday, we did our final elder series, and we looked at a passage in James, an interesting passage, often confused, where it tells someone who is sick to call upon the elders. Well, Mark did a great job of putting that statement within its context because the previous, descri- this previous uh, chapters described Christians who had lost their way. People who were being described as boasting in evil, speaking against the law, becoming an enemy of God. People who should have known better. And they were sick because of the consequence of their sin. That could have been mental sickness. It could have been physical sickness. It could have been spiritual sickness or all the above. But the reason they were calling upon the elders was because of a heart of repentance. They were turning from their sin, having been transformed by the renewing of their mind. They were coming to their senses. A depraved mind is one that is deprived of truth. 
someone who has believed a lie. And Christians are no exception. We must run from youthful lusts. We must run towards righteousness because there is no neutral ground. At any given moment, you are being conformed by the world's deception or transformed by the truth of God's word. It's all a matter of where you set your mind. Let me speak from experience here. When I get discouraged, frustrated, stressed out, my mind goes on search mode. That's when I get most susceptible to our enemy's deception. I might occupy my time with social media, surfing the internet, flipping through the channels. I think I'm trying to escape, but actually I'm running right into the enemy's trap. You see, our best defense against deception is knowing what is true. The more we fill our mind with God's word, the less room we have for the enemy's lies. Coming to our senses begins with coming to Christ, surrendering and submitting to him, running to him instead of trying to escape, reaching out to those within community instead of trying to navigate this thing on my own like I've got it figured out. We need to be like Joseph, someone who is unwilling to wait long enough to consider the options, but runs to what he knows is right and good and true. Someone who refuses to compromise, someone who has character in the midst of confusion. The Christian life is an active pursuit. You must run from something and run to something and reject other things altogether. So we need to join with those, as the scripture calls us, to join with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart, that live life faithfully for Christ in a sin-cursed world, that we confess our sins to one another so that we could be healed, because in the absence of that confession, we're sick, and we have believed a lie that alters the course of where we go, and we need to come back to Christ in order to come to our senses. You belong to God. And so live in a way that honors Him. Russell could tell you that there is a lot that happens just a few miles up the road in Washington, D.C. that feels like a different country. They are an alien and a stranger in a very foreign place. And we are confused in West Texas if we don't believe that that's true for us as well. We are aliens and strangers. This world is not our home. It is filled with the enemy's deception. And he's setting traps for us every single day. And we are foolish if we think that we can navigate life on our own overzealous confidence. We were made to live in community. We are dependent upon the truth of God's word. And the more we reject what we know to be true, the more likely we are to follow what is false. Because the enemy is at work. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So be active in your pursuit of knowing Christ. We don't grow spiritually by passively just waiting to see if something happens. Run from youthful lusts. 
run towards righteousness and reject all that empty chatter and things that draw us away from Christ altogether. There's no place. One of the things I thought about this morning as I considered the things that you and I face, sometimes we might live a fairly sheltered life and assume that uh, we don't face some of the same trials and tribulations or some of the same uh, efforts of our enemy to deceive us. What I thought about is you guys. Just take a second and walk onto a, Christ, uh, to a, a high school campus. Scott, you know this. Just walk down the hall of a high school campus and listen to the conversations that are taking place. And you will hear the lies of the enemy over and over again. And so all the more reason that we can't sit back and passively assume that if we do nothing, we're okay. Because that's not true. The Bible calls us to be active in our pursuit of knowing Christ. It requires that we live in community. We are strangers and an aliens in a world that is not our own. And so if we want to remain pure and live an honorable life, then the Scripture has given us clear direction on the path we have to take. So let's be intentional, just as Paul is encouraging Timothy. Let's pray together. Father, we need to hear your word because we're so easily distracted. Uh, every day, the enemy sets traps in hopes that we will believe a lie. And so I pray for each and every one of us, myself included, that we will be intentional about pursuing what is good and right and true so that we will be less susceptible to the enemy's lies. Father, I pray that as we get frustrated, as we go through hard times, that we would not try to escape only to find ourselves in the middle of the enemy's trap. But we would be intentional about pursuing you, that we would reach out to those around us, that we would live as a people who are unashamed because they are faithful to follow Christ in a sin-cursed world. Father, I want to take the opportunity this morning to pray for my friend Russell and his family who are in the midst of a place that is filled with confusion. May he be a man of integrity who is unwilling to compromise and who is faithful to live in a way that honors you. But as I pray for Russell, I pray the same for all of us. May we be brothers and sisters in Christ who live in a way that honors our Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.